Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. What do people believe about the Bible? In 2016, the Barna Research Group did some surveys about attitude towards the Bible. Now, every year they do what's called a state of the religion survey, but this one focused especially what are attitudes of people about the Bible. And this is what they found. 22% believe the Bible is the actual word of God and it should be taken literally. And, and so uh, this would probably be characteristic of Pentecostals and, and people, they believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, but uh, when it comes to some of the figurative things, you take them literally. 30% believe the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God. Some verses are symbolic, and this is where I would say we fall. Uh, for example, parables, metaphors, things like that, similes in the Bible, the, some of the figurative language in Daniel, Ezekiel, Revelation, and so on, we understand that it's symbolic. Then 16% say it's the inspired word of God, but it has some factual and historic errors. Now we're probably getting out into the more liberal uh, segments of Christianity where they take somewhat of a smorgasbord approach we pick and choose what we like, what's fashionable, based on what's politically correct and acceptable in our day and age. Then we got 9% who say it's not inspired, but it tells us how human writers understood the ways and the principles of God. And finally, 15%, just another book of teachings written by men that contain stories and advice. Now, I don't know about you, but I was quite surprised to see that 52% believe that the Bible is God's word, at least back in 2016. But, but the Barner researchers also observed that probably this is going to change, and it's probably changing right now, as older Christians who are brought up believing the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God are going to glory, and there are new generations that are coming up who do not and when you consider all the nuns and the duns and so on who don't want anything to do with religion anymore, and understand I praise God for all of you young people who believe the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God. What a wonderful thing. Praise God. But what about you? What do you believe about the Bible? Today God speaks to us through the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21, and he says, you can be sure about the Bible. Now, the Bible really is all about Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, even though it has records of wars and all kinds of genealogies and funny names that you can't pronounce, uh, really, you boil it down and it's pointing to the Savior who is to come. The New Testament points to the Savior who has come. Through the Bible, God and his law tells us that we come into this world sinful, that we don't match up to his perfect requirements of, of his commandments. And every day we, we break those commandments more than we ever realized and thought were indeed. We deserve to die. We deserve to be damned. God tells us right up front, there's no way that you can save yourself. But what we can't do, God has done. And he tells us about this in the gospel, in the Bible. That in his love, he sent his one son from eternity, perfect and holy. And he took on human nature in the person of Jesus. This Jesus then 
obeyed God's law to perfection. He took all our sins and all our guilt upon himself, and he died on the cross, and he paid for our sins in full, and he removed our condemnation. And then he rose again on the third day to announce to us, you are innocent before God. You are forgiven. And this is ours through faith in Jesus Christ, through faith in the gospel of Christ. And that gospel tells us that, that the time is going to come when you and I, with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and, and all of God's people are going to spend eternity in the new heaven, the new earth, the home of righteousness. Now, as Peter was writing, there were false teachers who were rising up in that area where his audience was, Asia Minor, the northeastern part of the Roman Empire. And uh, we would say it's modern-day Turkey, but, but these, these false teachers were denying, in some cases, that Jesus even came, or, or that if he came, that he was not the Son of God, or that he was not the Savior. When you come to 2 Peter 2, Paul t Peter talks about the false teachers who, who were coming up with destructive heresies, denying even the Savior, the sovereign Lord, who bought them. So Peter, moved by the Holy Spirit, counters these false teachers who said Jesus didn't come, or Jesus isn't the Son of God. And the first thing he emphasized, he said, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And he's saying to those who denied the coming of Jesus, No, wait a minute, folks. Uh, I and my fellow apostles actually saw this. We saw Jesus. We lived with Jesus. We walked with Jesus. We talked with Jesus. We ate with Jesus. He was real. And we saw his power. We saw him heal people. We saw him feed thousands. We saw him raise the dead. And we saw his, his majesty, his majestic glory. For example, as he was, was teaching about the Old Testament, and he would say, these scriptures are fulfilled in me. Or when he turned water into wine or when he ascended into heaven. We saw those things. We saw the risen Jesus. But then he pointed to a very special event that we are remembering today, the transfiguration. And he said, He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. We saw Jesus as his, his face changed, and it shone like the sun, and his clothes changed, and they were bright like the light. We saw Moses, who had, who had died 1,500 years before, but the Bible says that the Lord buried him, and then in the book of Jude, it talks about how, how the archangel Michael contested with uh, the devil over the body of, of Moses. But then there's Elijah who was taken up to heaven in the, the, the whirlwind accompanied by the chariots of fire. These two Old Testament characters who are witnessing to the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of the Savior. And they're talking about his departure, his death in Jerusalem, and his resurrection from the dead. Peter says, we saw this all. It was real. 
We, we are giving you the eyewitness account of these things. Now, what do you believe about the Bible? Are you among those who, you know, as you look at yourself, you, you think about God and God so loved the world, you think to yourself, well, God loves everybody. God sent his son to save everybody, so everybody's saved. Doesn't matter what we believe, doesn't matter what I believe, doesn't matter what I do. Are you among those who think that somehow or another you can enhance yourself in the eyes of God and win his favor, and you're thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. Uh, I live, I am, I give, I serve, uh, I sacrifice, and therefore I deserve. You have to remember, Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And when, for example, the next book comes out, about the contradictions in the Bible, or the next documentary comes out in search of the historic Jesus, or the next magazine article comes out, whether it's in print or online, who is Jesus? Is Jesus real? And, and questions all the things about whether Jesus really came, whether he is really the Son of God, whether he is really the Savior of the world, like all those destructive heresies in Asia Minor, you find yourself buying into those and beginning to doubt and wondering about the Bible. Think of Peter and what he's writing. He says, we were eyewitnesses of Christ, his coming, his power, his majesty. Think about what John wrote after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and, and, and Jesus appears to the disciples a week after his resurrection, a miracle. And, and John observed, but these are written, those miracles as well as the one he just experienced, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, another eyewitness testimony. And it brings us to the first point in our message. You can be sure about the Bible. It gives eyewitness testimony about Jesus. And remember, that's what the Bible is all about. But Peter goes on and he makes another point. And he says we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. <clears throat> and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now the prophetic message that he is pointing to are, are those prophecies of the Old Testament. Those promises, especially of the Savior who is to come. Now, conservatively speaking, Bible scholars believe there's, uh, there's about 300 of them. Maybe if you're more generous, like, uh, excuse me, like my uh, neighboring pastor in Watertown, Wisconsin, a scholar of the Old Testament, Eugene Caulfield, who wrote a book about Christ in the Old Testament, he maintained there were over 700 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus, his coming, his death, his resurrection, and so on. And, and, and you think about it, there are all kinds of prophecies. You can start in Genesis 3.15, you know, when God says that the, the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. Uh, you've got the, the, the prophecies to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that the Savior would come from their line. 
You have the prophecies of David that the Savior would come from his line. And then there's all kinds of details that the Savior would be born of a virgin and born in the town of Bethlehem. Now, I mean, there are some just astronomical uh, odds against all this stuff. And, and, then, and then there's all kinds of details that are given about Jesus' suffering and death and his resurrection, whether it's in the book of Psalms or in Isaiah 53. And, and it's led all kinds of people to say there's no way that these things could be written before Jesus ever lived and died because they are so detailed. And yet, archaeology and history and show, so on shows that, you know, the book of Isaiah and so on was written, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus. And so, when you're thinking about the prophetic message, it's made more certain when you think of how the New Testament shows the fulfillment of all these prophecies. And I've heard apologists just, just give phenomenal odds against all this, and yet it just brings home to us it had to be something that God was doing and bringing about. It had to be the Word of God. But then Peter goes on and he says, you know, from the, the, the prophecies of the Old Testament and the fulfillment in the New Testament, um, it, it brings a light, a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, the darkness that Peter is writing about is not the darkness of, of daylight and night. It's not geographical or physical. It's spiritual. It's the darkness of unbelief. It's the darkness of shame and guilt. It's the darkness of feeling like I, I'm, I'm worthless. I have no value. I don't understand my purpose in being here. It, it's the darkness that comes with the fear of death because you, you think that death is all there is and there is nothing after it or there's damnation. It, it's the darkness that comes with meaninglessness and helplessness and hopelessness. But when the light of the gospel that shows us Jesus comes through that gospel message and the Holy Spirit is working through it, it's just like the light that begins to shine in the morning, the morning star, the planet Venus that you can see on a clear night as morning is coming and it's in the eastern sky. And as that gospel shines more brightly in a person, the, 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 the darkness is replaced with the light and the hopelessness and the helplessness and the meaningless and the purposelessness is, is replaced with the knowledge, God loves me. God values me. God is with me. God has a purpose for me to glorify him, to, to live for him, to, to share him with others. God has a wonderful destiny for me, eternal glory. And between now and then, here and there, God will be with me. And you see, this, this gospel message, whether it's in the Old or in the New Testament, has a way of changing people's lives. And if you're wondering, how can I be sure about the Bible? Just stop and think of the billions of lives that have been changed down through time through that gospel message, whether we're talking the Old Testament times or the New Testament times. Think of all the opposition that has been mounted by the devil and, and, and his armies against Christianity and against the Bible and how the Bible was banned and burned and how Christians have been persecuted and, and yet that message continues to spread and grow in places where 
countries and religions have banned Christianity in the Bible, and yet the Bible flourishes there. And why is it? Because you can trust that it is the Word of God. And, and then go back to those, those prophecies and think of the fulfillment and, and what a miracle that is. And think of the words of Jesus then when he's talking to some leaders of the Jews and he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And so again... Jesus himself is saying to all the false teachers out there who deny his coming, deny his divinity, deny that he's the Savior, I'm the real thing. And it brings us to the second point. You can be sure about the Bible. It changes lives and fulfills the Old Testament and the New Testament. But there's a third point that Peter makes. He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't the case of where Isaiah, who lived in the 700s and 600s B.C., got up one morning and said to his wife, Honey, I think I'm going to write a book. And so he booked a cabin up in the mountains of Israel, and there went and, and stayed until he finished his 66 books, or chapters that we call the book of Isaiah, it wasn't a matter of where one day Peter said to James while they were out fishing, you know, James, I'm going to write some books, and uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to write more than anybody else. And so he writes a gospel and three epistles in the book of Revelation. No, it was a case of where the Holy Spirit chose men who, who believed in God, who loved God, who lived for God. Maybe they had no inclination to write any books, but he moved them to want to. And, and it wasn't something they did against their will because it was what, what we, we believers do in response to the love of God. And then the Holy Spirit gave them the, the, the thoughts that they were to write. You know, think of Moses, for example. He's living, you know, the 1400s before Christ, and he's writing, you know, Book of Genesis, all this stuff that happened before he ever lived and he couldn't go to the library, he couldn't go up to MLC and check all kinds of references out there, you know. Where did he get his stuff? God gave it to him. Revelation, direct communication, dreams, things like that, where, where God told him what to write. And, and, then, and then the Holy Spirit didn't just uh, take these guys out of character, but considered their background, their vocabulary, their style. So that, uh, for example, Daniel and Ezekiel, who live in Babylon and who live in Persia, and, and not only could speak Hebrew, but could also speak Aramaic, uh, he let them put some Aramaic into the, the books that they wrote. Or, or when it comes to John, he's a fisherman, and he's not a guy who is going to use all kinds of polysyllabic words, you know, all kinds of syllables. He talks about light and bread and things like that, and, and yet deep in meaning, whereas the Apostle Paul is a guy who's a, got a, a university education, basically has a big vocabulary, and has no rules when it comes to run-on sentences, so he writes sentences that are a whole page long and so on, and the Holy Spirit says, okay, I'm going to let him do that because that's the way he does it. But all along, when it comes to those original documents, 
the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Hebrew, the Greek, the Aramaic, the Holy Spirit is guiding so that these guys are writing exactly what God wants them to write with exactly the words he wants them to use from their own vocabularies to express the thoughts that he wants them to express. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, these are the things God reveals to us by his Spirit. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Or you've got Paul's simple emphasis to Timothy in 2 Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed. And that brings us to the third point. You can be sure about the Bible, it is inspired by God. But I don't, I don't know about you, but this leaves one question in my mind. How can we be sure that what God gave to Isaiah and, and Daniel and Ezekiel and John and Paul is what we have today? Because there's been a lot of time that's passed and there's been a lot of opposition to the Bible. You know, we people are imperfect and things like that. And I mean, I could go into talking about things like, well, do you know when the scribes were, you know, uh, uh, copying the Bible and so on, they counted all the letters and things like that. But let's just focus on, on the words of Jesus. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. He's given us a rock-solid promise. You can be sure the Bible's going to be preserved for you. Or Peter wrote, the word of the Lord endures forever. And you, you think about it logically. If God is God and God is all-powerful and God is all-wise and he wants us to have his word, the word that he gave to the original writers, isn't he wise enough and powerful enough to see to it that he preserves his word for us today so that you can be sure the Bible is the word of God? And it is. Therefore, read it. Remember it. Apply it. Live it. Let the light of God's love shine through it in you and bring those changes that need to take place in you. But then share it with others so that light can shine in them. And they too can be sure about the Bible. It is the word of God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.